Amen to that. Anybody had a rough week? Feel like you're under attack? Why don't you all have a seat? Anybody feel like they're under attack? Yeah, you are. That's what God's Word says. But this is the place you're supposed to be. Right now, this time, 2017, May 21st, is that right? Something like that? This is where you're supposed to be. No other better place to be than God's house with His family. Uh, And hopefully uh, He will use me in a mighty way to unpack His Word. So let me just pray for all of us real quick so we can put our focus on Christ, not on all the junk and the stuff that we bring in here, including the stuff that I'm bringing in here that's run through my head. Let us just put our focus right now on Christ so that He can really do a mighty work in and through us today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just lift up today to You, Lord. I lift up me. I lift up every single person in here, Father. Father, may we just put all the junk aside. And Father, it might not even be junk. It just might be pain and sorrow. It could be a million different things, Father. May we put our focus directly on You where it belongs. May we have an eternal focus, Father. Yes, life gets tough here, Lord. You tell us that. But one day, oh, one day, Lord, we will be with You face to face. Father, I love You. I know everyone in here loves You, Father. May we just Just put our focus completely on you today, Father. In your holy, precious name, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, good morning. Um, I think I needed that prayer more for myself than anybody else, maybe. Just telling you. Um, But it's good to be up here. So I'm going to start with a story. Um, So when I was a little kid, probably about four or five, uh, as most of you know, my dad was a military historian for the National Park Service. And uh, Dad used to take my brother and I and my mom around to all the um, battlefields. He had some, his hand in most of them and this and that. Anyway, Mom and Ed took us to, I think it was Antietam. I wish he were here. He could tell the story better than me. Um, But I think we went to Antietam, and I fell in love with a cannon. Thought this cannon was really cool. I climbed all over it. It was pretty neat. And Mom and Dad said it was time to leave. I said, well, I don't want to leave. I'm staying on the cannon. Mom and dad are like, no, you're going to get in the car. We're going home. Get off the cannon. I said, I'm not getting off the cannon. So dad, again, if he were telling the story, he would tell it from his perspective. He looked at mom and said, what are we going to do? We obviously can't take the cannon home. He won't get in the car. What are we going to do? Mom's like, you know, we should do this, blah, blah, blah. Dad said, you know what? We're pulling away. I know many parents in here right now are going, well, let me tell you how I would handle it. I got it. But in the heat of the battle, Dad said, we're just going to pull away. My mom, my mom said she cried more than I did, by the way. Um, like my dad really wasn't going to come back and get me. But at four or five, I sat on that cannon, my arms crossed. I'm not leaving. Dad got in the car. Mom got in the car. They rolled down the window. You're going to get in the car? Nope. I'm sitting right here on the cannon. As they pulled away, I bawled like a baby. But I wasn't going to move. Wasn't going to move at all. One thing led to another. Mom and dad came back. I don't know how they got me in the car. But the part of that story that is so funny to me is my dad used to say, Barbara, we're in big trouble. Because this one's going to give us some problems. 
That is a story about pride. Now, I don't know how I got to that point. Who knows? I'm a pretty prideful guy. I don't mean to be. It's something I work on every day, that and self-centeredness. But pride had gotten the better of me. And even though I was not going to get off that cannon and I was crying and I was afraid, I let the pride in me overtake me. Now, that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what the book of Obadiah is about. 21 verses of a minor prophet that most of us have passed over over the years, maybe as we're going through the Old Testament. But we're going to look at the pride of Edom and the destruction of what it caused for them and the hurt and the pain they caused for others and then what God did about it and what God does for those he loves. So if you want to picture me on the cannon, and that's the picture of Edom to some extent. So what is the worldview of pride? Worldview of pride. Anybody ever Googled the word pride? Don't do that. Really interesting pictures come up. Very interesting pictures come up. I don't have to do any accountability, but very interesting pictures come up. So pride, a feeling of self-worth is what it said. One of, the, uh, one of the definitions, one of the other definitions, sorry, my eyes are not working today, so we're going to go with this. So Webster said this, a reasonable and justifiable feeling of being self, of, of worthwhile, self-respect, now listen, here's what it says at the end, a feeling of being better than others. Worldview, folks. I, I learned in seminary, Dr. Kellerman used to jam this into my head all the time. You're either going to have a worldview or you're going to have a biblical view. There's no in-between. So the worldview is telling you a feeling of being better than others. So one of my favorite songs, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Pride and Joy, wrote it about his uh, guitar. That's kind of a cool song. But the world really has a different view of pride than God's, wor than God's word does. So what we're going to talk about today is what we learn in Isaiah 14, 14, which says, who was the greatest uh, that ever dealt with pride? Satan. Okay? Isaiah 14, 14 says, Satan said this, I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Pride, folks. See, God threw Satan and his cohorts out of heaven, and then Satan decided to well, I'll get you back, God. I'm going to go after Adam and Eve, and I'm going to work on their pride. And their pride got them in a great deal of hurt too. Pride. It brings a lot, a lot of people down. So Proverbs 16, 18 says this, and probably kind of the focus of what we're going to talk about today. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. Pride, folks. I posted this earlier on Facebook when I was kind of preparing for this week, and that is, Edom's pride, folks, is our pride. Now, my hope is we're not going to focus as much on the sin of pride, but on the sin breaker, similar to what the song talked about, okay? So if you're coming here and you're a believer, I hope you leave with a great deal of hope that no matter what you're struggling with, Jesus Christ has overcome it, okay? 
And if you're coming here as an unbeliever, and this is maybe your first time at church and first time hearing about God or so forth, I was a pretty prideful guy before I came to know the Lord. I struggled with, well, I think I've got things under control and I'm better than God and so forth. And then he brought me to my knees. So hopefully this message will also help you. So who is Obadiah? Not a lot written about him, right? Small book, 21 verses, a minor prophet. His name means, which boy, that's a neat name, by the way, servant of Jehovah. That's a pretty cool name. He, so, so the book, some scholars, typical scholars, batting it around, who's right, who's wrong. Some scholars believe uh, that the book was written around 850 B.C. Uh, when the Philistines invaded Jerusalem. And then other scholars believe that maybe it happened between 605 and 586 B.C. when Babylonian was conquered by Judah. Now, here's what I know. Whether it happened, when it happened, or what, we do know this. The book is all about Edom, and the central focus is that God is not happy, not happy at all, with Edom and their prideful, sinful, sinful ways. So before we kind of move into Obadiah, we're going to start more back in the beginning. So if you have your Bibles... Why don't you turn to Genesis 25 for me? Give you all a second to do that. I have all these little tabs today, so I know where I'm going. So, Okay. So Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Okay, Rebecca got pregnant. Rebecca starts to feel two, two, uh, two young men wrestling around in her belly. And she says to God, what's going on? So let's look at verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So Esau's born, and he comes out very hairy. Sorry, ladies, that would probably scare the, yes, out of you. I, if I saw Will come out, oh my gosh, he looks like a bear, okay? So Esau's born very hairy. Jacob comes out, and he's actually holding Esau's heel, okay? So typical boys, they struggle over time, and at one point in time, uh, Jacob proceeds to make uh, a stew. This is later in, in 25. So Jacob makes this stew, and he says to Esau, Esau comes in from a hard day's work, and he says, uh, Esau goes, oh, I'm, I'm hungry. Can I get some stew? And everybody remember what Jacob does? He said, give me your birthright. Now, that's weird for us in this day and age, because it's a little different now. But that was a big deal then. So Esau goes, yeah, I'm so hungry. You can have my birthright. Who cares about my birthright? So he gives up his birthright to Jacob and begins the struggle between the two of them. So now we move forward to Genesis 27. And this is a critical part of this story. I would say this sounds like... So if you ever wonder if... Um, like, you know, they say TV that has a lot of drama. Read the Bible. There's a lot of drama in the Bible. So we now have a situation where Rebecca, okay, says to Jacob, Esau's going to go out hunting. He's going to go out and get some food for Isaac. Isaac's getting older. 
He wants to uh, eat. He has bad eyesight, so forth. Rebecca says to Jacob, and this is all part of what leads up to what takes place with Edom. Jacob proceeds to put on uh, Esau's clothes. She puts goat fur on Jacob's arms so that when he comes up and serves Isaac the food, Isaac barely can see. He reaches out and he goes, is that you, Esau? And Jacob says, yes. So he lies. Well, next thing you know, um, Isaac then uh, gives um, Jacob the blessing. I knew I was going to mess that up, sorry. Gives Jacob the blessing, which roughly is saying to Jacob, you're now in charge. I'm leaving, you're now in charge. Esau comes in. This is a messed up story, by the way. Think about it. Esau comes in and is like, what just happened? I came in to feed you. And he says, no, you didn't. You just did that. And he says, well, what, what took place? Well, they find out that he has blessed Jacob instead of Esau. Esau gets very angry. Jacob runs away, so forth. And now we get to 33. So we're at Genesis 33. And this is all the backstory. So this is where Jacob and Esau meet back up. Okay, now, I like the history part of this, so bear with me. Sorry. Okay, so Jacob and Esau meet back up. And you would think that Esau, who arrives with 400 men, is going to get in a battle with Jacob. Instead, they lock arms, they hug, everything's good, so forth and so on. Okay? So, end of the story, right? Everything should be fine. Jacob's line should go this way, Esau's line should go this way, and they should be exactly doing what God calls them to do. Well, that's not what takes place. So the last piece I want to look at here in Genesis is a key piece to what takes place. So flip to Genesis 36, and we're going to look at one verse. Actually, we're going to look at two verses. So when Isaac says to Jacob in Genesis 28, blessing upon you, you're now in charge. He says, but you can only do, don't, there's one thing you can't do. And that was, he said to him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Do not separate the line. Okay? So what do we see right here in 36? <clears throat> this is the account of Esau, that is Edom, verse 2. Esau took his wives from the women of Canaan. Here begins the fall. Here begins really the true separation between Edom and Jacob. Now, we don't know whether Esau knew that he was not supposed to do this or not. Now, here's the interesting part. So I was stern over this as I was preparing. I thought this was interesting. So Esau did what he was what, what Jacob was not supposed to do. Now, I think maybe Esau was fine here, meaning not as in marrying a Canaanite woman, but I think he had unforgiveness, had been forgiveness had been taking place between him and Jacob. So I often wonder, did Esau, Edom's relatives, start to look back and start to get the pride of, well, Jacob and his family got what we want. And so begins a pride run that brings us to Obadiah. So a little bit of backstory, but I think it's important to understand who Edom and Esau is. So, and that's what we're going to kind of uncover here as we go into Obadiah. So let's turn to Obadiah, and we're going to look at the first four verses together. 
<clears throat> okay. So, verse 1. <clears throat> the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be there utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. So Miles had said to me before, he goes, hey, I was reading Obadiah. What an interesting book. It's going to be an interesting book to preach on. I said, yep, I agree. But one of the things that's very interesting is right out of the bat, you start to discover what the issue is. So there is this sense that Edom thinks they are better than everybody. Who struggles with pride? Okay? There are times, and we, could, we don't have enough time to go into a counseling session here, but I'm sure there's reasons and struggles behind that pride. One of the reasons and struggles behind Edom's pride was the idea that they were better than other people. Now, if you think about how that plays into God's story, that's what frustrates God, right? Brothers and sisters, love God, love your neighbor, and so forth. They thought they were untouchable. Untouched, sorry, untouchable. They thought their defense systems were perfect. They put their hope and their trust in the heights of where they lived. And I think at times we do the same things. We put our hopes in our 401ks. We put our hopes and our dreams in our houses and in our kids and so forth. We find our self-worth sometimes in our kids and what they do on the soccer fields. See, Edom had put its faith in all the things that would fade away and openly and defiantly declared its independence from God. Edom's pride, folks, is our pride. So let's look at verses 5, 6, and 7. <clears throat> so, if thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, <clears throat> his hidden treasures uh, pillaged, almost said privileged, all your allies will force you to the borders. Your friends will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. So again, think about what their pride is beginning to do in them. Okay, No matter how strong your defense system is, it can and it will fall. God says through Obadiah in verse 5, Oh, what a disaster waits for you. You think your hidden treasures are secure and you're absolutely wrong. Your allies, your friends, your family, you name it. Edom, Edom thought that they were good to go. Edom thought that their allies and everything would be backing them up. <clears throat> friends would overpower them and those close to them would set traps. The worst part was they didn't see it coming. I have found that over time especially counseling and just really my own struggles. You know, a lot of times when we're caught up in the sin, and let's specifically talk about pride, 
We just don't see it happening. And then eventually it gets caught up with us and sometimes it's too late. And then it overpowers us. Do you see how we're just like Edom? We put our hope and trust in all these people around us, our bosses, our friends, our families, and at times even our spouses. God is where we are to put our trust. It is in and through God, and we will see the riches not through man. So let's look at Obadiah 8 and 9. So in that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? You warriors of Teman will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in slaughter. <clears throat> the people of Edom thought their wisdom would would uh, preserve them, but God knew better. Do we take too much pride in our own wisdom? Do we find it hard to take counsel or direction from others? Are we considered teachable people? If this is an area that you struggle with, you might be close to the edge of destruction. Psalm 138.6 says, Though the Lord is high, He looks upon the lowly or the humble, but the proud or the unteachable He knows from afar. See, I don't want God far from me. I often hear people say to me, you know, I just don't feel God. I feel like he's distant and so forth. <clears throat> well, God said he would never forsake us, right? So if that's the case, maybe it's something about us of why we don't sense God and have God, God's presence in our lives. You know, through my mom's dementia journey, it has been very interesting um, <clears throat> been a humbling process. I am learning more and more of how self-centered I can be. I'm learning more and more what it means to humbly serve somebody. I thank the Lord in a crazy roundabout way that he is able to show me this. Now, unlike Edom, he might have been showing it to them for years and years and years, but they just kept turning their back. Again, I want God close to me. I want God walking side by side with me. And I hope that's what you would want too. So what do we do about all this? So 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this. And this is what God calls his people to do in the Old Testament. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will hear their land. God's telling us to communicate with him. God is telling us to, be, to humble ourselves. God is telling us to seek his face. He's telling us to turn from our wicked ways. Stop doing what you've always been doing. Lastly, we need to remember that we're all brothers and sisters under the same God. There is a brotherhood of, human, of, of humanity that at times I think we forget about. We get prideful. We think we've got it all together, and we think those around us who are sinning, that they're worse than us. Nobody's sin is less or greater than the other. If you are a believer, then you're also in the, in the brotherhood of believers. And we are to look differently, folks. I say this all the time. We are to look differently outside of these walls. So this is what God is teaching us about. But let's finish at looking at what he is teaching us about him. So this is what it says in uh, Obadiah 15.21. So let's look at that. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. 
As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head, just as you drank of my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and drink and, and, and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau will be stubble. And they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. And then it goes on to say this in the last few verses. People from Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and the people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of the Ephraim and the Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as uh, Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepherd will possess the towns of Negev. Deliverers will go on the Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. So what do we hear at the end of this uh, book? We hear this. The day of the Lord is near, and as you did it, it will be done to you. So what is the end of Obadiah telling us about God and his character? I think it's telling us a couple things. First of all, God protects his people. He loves his people. He also has a deep heart for the underdog at times. Not that he doesn't have a heart for all, but I think when the underdog is taking a beating like his people were from the Edomites, God steps in. God's kingdom will, will reign forever and ever, and the Lord himself will be king. God will make right what needs to be right. He is our righteous judge. God loves us enough to send his son and to redeem us. The opposite of pride, folks, is, is being humble, being proud of our family and our football teams and so forth is one thing. But when we put ourselves above others, it's a very, very big problem that God talks about. So the world says that what is yours, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Only the strong survive, the idea of man up. Take what is yours. Well, the complete opposite is taught by Jesus. So I'm going to just briefly look at Matthew 5. So here's three or four verses for you. So listen to what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness, for they will be filled. And then a couple more here. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of gods. Son, sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Little different very different than how Edom was living. What Jesus is saying here is, is that we are to lower ourselves. We are to come under him. Okay? So think about how he came to this earth. 
What did, I mean, what did Jesus do? He died on the cross for those who would put his faith in them, right? Okay? So think about what he did the night before he died. He went to his disciples and he washed their feet. Lowly act of humbleness. And he's God doing a lowly act of humbleness. Humbleness is what competes or goes against pride. We are called to walk humbly. So let's look at one more passage here. And I'm just going to read this and I just think about what the words of this say about humility because it's the perfect picture of Jesus Christ. So Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. The opposite of proud right here, the opposite of pride. Do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look, uh, not, I'm sorry, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. And this is what his attitude was like. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, similar to the song that we sang prior to me coming up, he gives hope to the hopeless, he heals the hurting, he comforts the brokenhearted. And he makes us righteous and victorious over our sin, such as pride. Jesus protects those who call out to him. So if you're here today, and again, you don't know who Christ is, we definitely have plenty of people who would love to share with you. You can just turn to the person beside you. They would love to share with you what Jesus has done in their lives. And then for my believing friends, if pride is what you struggle with or other things, we have to be very careful that we're not the house of Edom. Edom, over time, let their pride go from an attitude to action. We see in verses 10 through 14 that it says that Edom was looking down upon its brother. That at one point, it's referred to, uh, I think in Psalms, where Edom is shouting for joy Take, take Judah down. Take Israel down. My question to all of you all is, is your pride gotten to that point? Is your pride just an attitude or has it moved into action? I'm going to end with a story. I'm not excited to end with this story. I have battled this story for the last three or four weeks in preparation. I said to the Lord multiple times, I don't want to share this story, which means I should share the story. So, um, I've always said to you all, whether 
I do well at preaching, bad at preaching, whatever. I'd always be honest and upfront and transparent with you all. So I came to Michelle the other day, and I'm going to end with this story. So I came to Michelle the other day, and I said, so honey, I, th- I think I'm supposed to end, or yeah, I think I'm supposed to end with a story about our marriage. And for those of you that know Michelle very well, she is extremely introverted. And she says, well, can I hear the story first? And I said, you don't have to worry about it. It's going to make me look bad. And she goes, then share away. Share away. Tell them whatever you want. I hate this story. This story makes me actually cringe. Um, so Michelle and I were, this was a couple years ago, uh, we had hit kind of a rocky spot. And I, I don't remember the particulars. I remember the end result. That's what's more important. Um, somehow she wasn't meeting my needs I I don't know how I don't don't remember exactly what physical, mental, I don't remember I really don't so I decided I'm going to do something really smart I know every wife in here is going to throw something at me Um, just remember you love me, we're brothers and sisters in Christ right so I proceeded to go well, I'm going to show her I'm going to show her how she's making me feel I'm going to show it back to her That went real well. So for about three days, I proceeded to shut down on her, not show her any love. I was kind. I don't know. I mean, you know, I was, you know, if we saw each other in the hallway, I said hi. It wasn't. And so here's what's crazy. And this is what is nuts about pride. It proceeded to just churn inside of me. And I got to a point where I'm like, what the heck am I doing? This is stupid. And it was like the Lord just started pounding on me, pounding on me, pounding on me. And I came to her and she goes, so what is wrong? And I said, and I just kind of threw up on her. And I said to her, first of all, I said, I'll never treat you like this again. Second of all, and I shared with her, I said, honey, I had this sense of like, I wanted to kind of pay you back. Eat them. Edom's pride is our pride. So I wanted to pay her back and make her feel as frustrated as I was. What a stupid thing to do. Absolutely stupid. To the one that I love, Esau and Jacob, brothers. And Esau treats, Edom treats Jacob the way they did. Pride got so stirred up in me that I realized a couple things about pride, and this is what I'm going to end with. Pride screws up your hearing. Pride screws up how you see things. Pride screws up your heart. Pride screws up those around you. Okay? Praise the Lord that Jesus Christ loves me despite my dumb attempt at whatever I was trying to do. Folks, that's who we serve. That's the Savior that came and died for us. That's washed away. I repented. I repented to my wife. I repented uh, to the Lord. And praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. She still loves me. Um, You know, pride does stupid things, folks. And I would gather, I'll take a guess, there's a handful of you in here doing the same thing right now. Pride. 
it gets in the way between your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, friends, and family. Folks, don't let pride drive you over the cliff. Turn it over to Christ. It's where it needs to be. Let us pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. This is the day that you have made, Lord, and we thank you for that, Father. Thank you for new beginnings, Lord. Thank you for loving me despite my my deceiving heart, Lord. Thank you for loving all of us, Father. Father, thank you for dying on the cross for a bunch of low-down, dirty sinners like us, Lord. We love you, Lord. Father, we lift up the rest of this day to you. May we serve you well. May we praise your holy name, Lord. Thank you, Father. In your holy name, amen.